take your Bibles and let's go to the book of Daniel because today we are beginning a summer series from the book of Daniel. How many have ever read the book of Daniel? If you've read the book of Daniel, if you've read that book, you'll know that it is a, it is a powerful book and it's a great example of what it means to be a Christ follower in a culture that doesn't follow Christ. And that's really what the book of Daniel is all about. So we're going to be going through this over the next couple of the weeks. And it's not necessarily going to be a verse-by-verse expository. We're going to basically look at some of the, uh, the highlights of, of Daniel's uh, life, some of those stories, and we're going to pull out some applications to our lives here today. So today we're going to start in chapter 1. So go to Daniel chapter 1. And I want to talk to you about standing firm in Babylon. Standing firm in Babylon. And we're going to read verses 1 through 8 in Daniel chapter 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, everybody say Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he, which Nebuchadnezzar, carried into the land of Shinar, which is another word for the region of Babylonia. He carried them to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Verse 3 Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men, everybody say young men, in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand. Sounds like the youth group at the Mission Church, doesn't it? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> All right. And then it says, um, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans is basically another word for the Babylonians and it talks about, it refers to the culture of the Babylonians. Verse 5, and the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And we're going to stop right there for now. So Father, help us today, God to understand what it means to be a Christ follower in a culture that doesn't follow Christ. Help us, Lord, to learn from this example of Daniel what it means to stand firm in Babylon. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. So Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, which basically Babylonia is uh, the, the area of modern-day Iraq, king, of, uh, king Nebuchadnezzar besieged the southern part of Israel, which is known as Judah, and he was besieging Judah for over 20 years to try and defeat it. And that 20-year besiege culminated in the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. when he basically won the war, that fight. Over the course of that 20 years, he took captive tens of thousands of Jews and deported them to Babylon where they would spend the next 70 years in captivity. Among those deported was a young Hebrew named Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, was all about expanding his territory, enlarging his rule, not just in his present time, but also into the future for posterity. And to do that, what Nebuchadnezzar would do is he would take captive the best and the brightest from the nations that he conquered, and Judah was not the only nation. He would take the best and the brightest, the youngest, the strongest, the most handsome, the wisest, and he would convert them into Babylonians. He would make them into Babylonians so that they could serve his purposes for posterity. And the way that, now look at this, the way that he converted these captives to become Babylonians was not by force. It was by seduction. He didn't put a gun to their heads. He didn't force them to conform to their culture. Instead, he seduced them. He gave them luxury and comfort. He gave them privilege and promotion and prosperity. He made it so that these captives would forget that they were in captivity. That in fact, he made it so comfortable and so alluring to them that they would actually fall in love with their captivity. They would learn to like their captivity and they would fall in love with the culture of Babylon. And in so doing, they would forget about their homeland. They would forget about their families, their upbringing, their heritage, their religion, who they are. And they would willingly become Babylonians. It was a strategy of seduction. And I believe that this is the same strategy that the enemy is using today in American culture. I'm not worried today so much about persecution. That's not what the enemy is using in America. Persecution actually has an effect on the church that makes the church stronger. It has a way of refining the church and, and peeling away those who are lukewarm and who are not really serious about their faith. And then it has a way of strengthening the resolve of those who are true followers of Christ. Persecution has a way of intensifying us and, and preparing us to endure. And it makes us stand even firmer in our, in our faith. That's not what the enemy is using today. He's not using persecution. What he's using today is seduction. He wants us to fall in love with the culture around us 
so that instead of resisting our culture, we'll become comfortable in our culture, we'll, we'll be lured by our culture, and we will willingly become Babylonians. That's the strategy of the enemy today in America. Now, Nebuchadnezzar knew that if he was going to seduce an entire generation effectively, there were certain things that he had to do, certain tactics that he had to employ. And the first thing that he did was the tactic of isolation. Can you say isolation? So the first thing he did was isolation. In order for these young Hebrews to be seduced properly into Babylon, they had to be isolated from everything that made them Hebrew. Everything that encouraged them to worship the one true God, everything that would, that would lead them to follow the word of God, they had to be isolated from that. So Daniel and his friends were moved, they were removed from their homes, they were removed from their families, from their culture, from their religion. No more temple, no more reading the scriptures, no more priests and Levites to encourage them or to, or to uh, train them or teach them. No more fellowship with people of like faith. No more traditions that they were raised in. They were isolated from everything that shaped their faith that shaped them in their culture, and they were dropped into the midst of Babylon. Can you say isolated? Isolated. And the second tactic was immersion. First, there was isolation. Secondly, there was immersion. Now, verse 4 says, they were taught the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. It was not enough to be isolated from what made them Hebrews, they had to be immersed in Babylon. They learned the proper words. They learned what was politically and culturally correct. They learned how to talk and how to act like Babylonians. They were given access to all of the literature, to all of the arts, to all of the music, all of the entertainment, that which was most popular in Babylon. They were probably given access to some of the famous celebrities, to some of the most, the richest and the, and the most powerful, the pop stars, the celebrities. They were isolated from what made them Hebrews, and they were immersed in Babylonian culture. And I imagine that it probably, for these young men, these young, you know, and they were probably like 14, 15, 16 years old. They were young men. It was probably so thrilling for them. It probably was so exciting. Not like Jerusalem. Not like Jerusalem at all. Not like hanging out with some Levites. You imagine that was probably a thrill, huh? They were taken away from the Levites, the priests, the Jewish culture, and they were put in the midst of Babylon. Oh, that must have been so exciting, right, for these young men. Nebuchadnezzar knew that if he could get them away from all of the traditional religious stuff of, of Judaism, and he could expose them to Babylonian culture, he knew that he could awaken their flesh, he could stir up their carnal desires, and they would forget all about those Mosaic laws and all of those Old Testament traditions, and they would just fall in love with Babylon. And then it says in verse 5, it says that they were given a daily provision of the king's 
delicacies and the wine which he drank. The king's delicacies. Now, if there's one thing that a 14, 15, 16-year-old boy loves, it's to eat delicacies. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? They were given access to the king's delicacies. It was the best food, at least the best tasting food. Right? I imagine it was sweet, it was spicy, it was salty, it was fatty, thick steaks, heavy desserts, rich pastries, and wine. 15-year-old boys given wine. Could you imagine? Never get that in Jerusalem. Right? But here they are in Babylon. I mean, they're eating whatever they want to eat. They're drinking whatever they want to drink. And it was all designed so that they would become immersed in and enamored by and seduced to fall in love with Babylonian culture. But it wasn't enough to isolate them and to immerse them. Verses 4 and 5 says that the Babylonians gave them three years of training so that at the end of that time, they might serve before the king. Three years of training in the king's academy. Training in the king's academy. So this is indoctrination. First, we see isolation. Secondly, we see immersion. And now we see indoctrination. Now, we all know that education is valuable. I believe in education. I encourage education. We need education. But the purpose of this Babylonian education was not academic. It was to indoctrinate their minds with Babylonian values and ideals. It was to make them think and act like Babylonians with a Babylonian mindset rather than Israelites with a Hebrew mindset. That's what indoctrination is. Indoctrination is about grooming. And by grooming, I mean desensitizing minds to accept as normal certain values, certain beliefs, certain practices that they would have otherwise rejected. It's actually a form of manipulation. It's engineering a worldview, a mindset that someone wants you to have because it serves their interests, their agenda, indoctrination. And the Babylonians' agenda was very clear. Put away your God, put away your Jewish laws, your silly beliefs, and become one of us. Enjoy life. Live how you want to live. And as verse 5 says, serve before our king. That was the agenda of the Babylonians. Which brings us to one more tactic that we see the, 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 the Babylonians used, along with isolation, immersion, indoctrination, and it's this, identity deconstruction. Identity deconstruction. Verse 7 says this, the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. He changed their identity, changed their names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, Azariah, Abednego. He changed their names. And this was significant. It's identity deconstruction. Because understand something. Their original 
Hebrew names made reference to the God whom they were raised to serve. Daniel literally means Yahweh is my judge. Mishael means who is like Yahweh. Hananiah means Jehovah is gracious. Azariah means Jehovah is my helper. But their new names, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, these were pagan Babylonian names which contained references to the false Babylonian gods. Identity deconstruction. In other words, what they were saying to these boys, they were saying, we no longer want to hear any reference to your God when we talk to you. We don't want you to bring the name of your God into our classrooms. We don't want you to bring the name of your God into our workplaces or into our culture. We don't want to hear anything about your God. In fact, we forbid you to identify yourself as a follower of Jehovah. We forbid you to call yourself a follower of Jehovah. Because when you do that, it offends us. So we're going to strip that from your identity and any personal expression you have, any reference, any remembrance of the God that you used to serve. We don't want to hear about his name. And then notice something else. Verse 3 and verse 7 both says, they both say that these four young men were in the care of Ashpenaz, chief of the eunuchs. Now a eunuch was a man who was castrated. He was physically, anatomically emasculated, which was typical of men in ancient cultures who served in the king's court so that they would not be tempted by the women in the king's harem. So it's very likely that Daniel and his friends were forced to become eunuchs. Now talk about identity deconstruction. These young men, these boys, 15, 16 years old, right, in the midst of puberty, the enemy not only wanted to completely erase their spirituality, their identity, he wanted to erase their gender and their sexuality. What a parallel that we see to what's happening today in our culture with with this, this claim of toxic masculinity and, and the LGBTQ uh, uh, agenda and the, and the transgender movement. I mean, what a parallel. You understand how Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. It's the same old tired tactics of the enemy against the people of God. Identity deconstruction. The enemy today, and by that I mean the world system that he controls, our Babylon. Everybody say Ab Babylon. Babylon. We're living in a modern day Babylon. Identity deconstruction. The enemy today is trying to completely deconstruct and dismantle any sense that God has given young people today. The transgender movement, the LGBTQ agenda, blatant, overt sexuality in our culture. The, and listen, the enemy hates the image of God that has been stamped upon humanity. And he wants to mar it. He wants to scar it. 
He wants to ruin it. It's not about science. It's not about biology. It's not about what's healthy and what's best for young people. It is a work of defiance and rebellion against the identity that God has created a person to have and given them to live out. How many understand what I'm talking about? These are the tactics that Nebuchadnezzar used on Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And these are the tactics that the enemy is using on us today. And not just for the youth. Tactics that he's using on all of us. He wants you and me, all of us, isolated from that which strengthens our faith and immersed in Babylonian culture. And he will do anything to isolate us. He will do anything to keep us out of the Word, anything to keep us out of prayer, anything to keep us out of church, anything to keep us out of fellowship, anything to keep us from worshiping God. He wants to isolate us from the people and the places and the things that will strengthen our faith and build us up. Because understand something, walking with Christ in this world, in this culture, is like swimming upstream against a downstream current. How many... How many have ever gone swimming in, a, in the ocean, right? And the current is strong, right? And if you want to stay in this right place, we go to the, we go to the, the ocean, to the shore there, and you know you've got to stay in front of the lifeguard stand, right? How many know what I'm talking about, right? And so you go and you're in front of the lifeguard stand because you never know, you might drown and you need some help, right? And then the current wants to push you away from the lifeguard. So you've got to constantly swim back to the lifeguard stand. And the moment you stop resisting the current, what happens? It pulls you downstream. It's like trying to walk upstairs on a downstairs escalator. Remember doing that when you were young, right? Walking up, as soon as you stop walking upstairs on a downstairs escalator, what happens? You get pulled down. That's what serving Christ in this culture is, is, is similar to. Understand something. There is no spiritual status quo. There's no such thing as standing still spiritually. We are either moving higher and gaining ground, or we are getting pulled lower by the culture around us. Amen? Why? Because we are constantly immersed in Babylonian culture. It is all around us. We are constantly in the language and the literature of Babylon. We are constantly in the classroom of Nebuchadnezzar. We are constantly exposed to all of this culture, this Babylonian culture that is trying to influence us and pull us down, right? 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 talks about the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of this life, the things that are of this world that are not of the Father, right? These things that we are constantly pushing against and fighting against. Our ears are constantly hearing the language of the Babylonians. Our eyes are constantly seeing the things of Babylon. Our appetites are constantly being fed by the Babylonian delicacies all around us, right? Nebuchadnezzar is constantly trying to feed us his stuff. And the moment we stop resisting, the moment we stop fighting, the moment we stop pushing against that stream, we get pulled downstream in the current, downstairs on the escalator. And this is why in verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Hallelujah. 
he purposed in his heart. Today, I want to encourage our resolve. Today, I want to remind us that there is no letting up. Right? That there is no relaxing spiritually. Wherever you may find yourself, wherever you are going, whatever your station in life, there is a constant current called the culture of Babylon that is trying to sweep us downstream, that is trying to immerse us and indoctrinate us, and is trying to deconstruct our identity in Christ and to make us into some kind of a Babylonian. And the moment that we, we lose our resolve, the moment, the moment we loosen our grip on the things of God, the culture starts to get an inroad into our thinking, into our mindset, into our mentality, into our attitude, and it pulls us downstream. So today, I'm here to encourage your resolve and to remind you you can't give up you can't let go you've got to keep climbing you've got to keep swimming you've got to keep feeding and taking in the things of God on a regular basis amen and this is why this book the book of Daniel is so important to us here's this young man taken captive 15 let's call it 15 years old deported to a pagan nation 900 miles from his home, separated from his country, his culture, his family, his religion, thrust into a pagan culture, pagan language, pagan gods for the express, expressed purpose of making this kosher Hebrew boy into a pagan Babylonian citizen who would serve that king. And here's what Daniel says. Daniel says, you might force me to live in Babylon, but I will never become a Babylonian. That's what he says. He says, I may live in Babylon, but Babylon will never live in my heart. Did you get that? I, you may force me to live in Babylon. You may try to teach me and indoctrinate me, but Babylon will never get into my heart. I will never be a loyal citizen of this culture. This is the story of Daniel, and this is also our story. In other words, it's this question. Will we be Babylonians, or will we be Christ followers? Will God and his word define us and shape us and mold us and teach us how to speak and how to think and how to act and react, or will we just go along with the crowd of Babylonians around us? Now, here's the good news. Though the enemy may be raging in our culture, God is always looking for Daniels that he can anoint and bless and empower and raise up and use. Amen? That's good news. The Bible says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. In the last day, the Bible says that there will be signs of tribulation, men's hearts failing them for fear in the last days. But he says, in those last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Hallelujah. No matter how great the darkness, no matter how bad the deception and the delusion, God is always at work. And he's always at work in the lives of his people. Even when it seems like our leaders, our government, our nation has given over, given themselves over to Babylonian culture, God is 
raising up Daniels, and I say, Lord, I want to be a Daniel. Lord, I don't want to be another Babylonian, and I don't want to be another Hebrew who just conformed to Babylonian culture and who one day was a Hebrew. Or one day, yeah, I remember when I used to go to temple. Yeah, I remember when I used to read Mosaic. I remember when I used to follow all those trees. I remember, but now, no, you know what? I've just kind of, you know, adopted the ways of, I don't want to be that guy. Amen? I don't want to be that guy. Because you know what? I've seen too many of them who used to be faithful Hebrews when they lived in the right conditions. It's easy to be a faithful Hebrew in the right conditions. Amen? The true test of our faith, the true test of our walk with Christ, take us out of those perfect conditions and put us in a Babylon. Right? And tell us we're going to indoctrinate you, we're going to feed you, we're going we're to we're immerse you in culture. And that's the true test of being a follower of Christ. Hallelujah. God is always raising up Daniels. Amen? Come on, church. How many want to be a Daniel today? I'm just encouraging your resolve. What's a Daniel? A Daniel, a Daniel is someone who says you can change my name, but you can't change who I am. You can put me in your culture, but you can't put your culture in my heart. You can force me to read your books and study your science and listen to all your social theories and your spiritual philosophies and your ideologies and your so-called truth, but I know the truth, and that truth has set me free. I follow Christ. I stand on his word. I walk in his spirit. I live by faith, and I know that my God is for me, and so I don't care who's going to stand against me. I'm going to follow Jesus in this Babylon. Daniel doesn't need, he doesn't need approval or affirmation. He doesn't live for likes on social media. Daniels don't really care if you accept them or invite them or include them or approve of them. Why? Because they have encountered the living God. And that encounter with the living God has given them a living purpose. And what is that purpose? It's to live for something more than immediate gratification. To live for something more than comfort and prosperity. It's to live for the glory and the honor of my God who has saved me and who has set me free. That's what this book, that's what Daniel's story is all about. And when Daniel did that, when he purposed in his heart and he refused to conform and capitulate, God intervened on his behalf. He appealed to Aspenaz, and he asked, Let's, let us eat some vegetables and test us in a, few, in a few days to see how healthy we are. And so Ashpenaz did that. He said, okay, I'll let you do that. That was a miracle right there. That was a miracle right there that God gave him favor. Right? And then, 10 days later, when... He went back and tested him. It says that Daniel and uh, his three friends were healthier than everybody else. Hallelujah. Just eating vegetables. I don't know if I'd be healthy just eating vegetables after 10 days. And don't make too much of that, okay? Don't spiritualize that. Say, if I eat vegetables for 10 days, I'm going to be. It takes a little more than that, okay? But God blessed them. That's the point. God, Daniel purposed in his heart. 
and God blessed them. And then it says, in, right around verse 19, that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, called them in and started to test them and to interview them. And it says that Daniel and his friends excelled in wisdom and understanding. That, that wasn't natural. That was supernatural. That was God intervening on their behalf. Jesus said, when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. I'm not saying it's easy. When the Babylonian culture around you tells you in your workplace, well, you're going to have to submit to these policies now. You're going to have to subscribe to these ideologies now. I'm not saying it's easy when you purpose in your heart and you say, you know what, I can't eat that. I can't swallow that. I can't make that a part of me. I can't digest that into this life. That has been sanctified by Christ. If I do that, it will defile me. I can't do that. I'm not saying it'll be easy. It won't be easy. But I am saying this. God is looking for Daniels in Babylon. That's where you find the Daniels. You find them in Babylon. How many want to be a Daniel? Okay. You don't get to be a Daniel unless you're in a Babylon. Right? It's being put in Babylon it's being put in those circumstances where you're being forced to comply with something that you know is wrong. And when you say, I can't do that, that's what makes us a Daniel. Hallelujah. And God is going to step, in, step up on, on your behalf. I don't know what he'll do. I don't know how he'll do it, but I know God is faithful. Amen? Let's have the worship team come on up here. I don't know how, but I know God does this. Listen, do you believe, do you believe that you serve a living God? who is active in the lives of his people, more and more, and more we're going to need to see that in these last days as our culture gets darker and darker and more corrupt, that God intervenes on behalf of his people. Amen? Let's all stand together because, listen, some of us, in the months to come, in the months to come, some of us are going to have to make some hard choices. Some of us are going to be asked to swallow some things. And it's going to mean keeping our jobs. It's going to mean keeping some friends. It's going to mean if you want to maintain this income level and this standard of living, you're going to have to swallow some things. And in that moment, you're going to be called to make a choice. Am I going to, am I going to purpose in my heart for the glory of God in my life? Am I going to resolve for Him? Or am I going to just go along with it and allow my life to be defiled? I think that's, that's the persecution that's coming. How many hear what I'm saying? Right? That's the persecution that's coming. It's an offer. It's a seduction to fall in love with Babylon. But then the Daniels will say, not going to do it. I might live in Babylon, but I'll never be a Babylonian. <laughs> Amen. I might live in Babylon, but Babylon will never live in my heart. So, Father, help us today, God. Help us today as we look at this world around us and it gets darker and darker. Help us, Lord God, to be resolved in our hearts. Even if it means we're ridiculed, even if it means we're rejected, mocked, even if it means, Lord, that it incurs some loss, some downgrading of our status. Lord, help us 
to be resolved and a purpose in our hearts not to defile ourselves with the food of this world, the things of this world, Lord God. Come on, if that's you, if that's your prayer, just lift the hand of the Lord right now. Just say, yes, God, I want to be resolved, Lord God. I want to be that Daniel in Babylon, Lord God. And Lord, I'm going to trust in you. Hallelujah. That's the good news. Amen? That when I seek you first, Lord God, and your righteousness, you'll cause all things to be added to me. So, Lord, I'm trusting in you, my God, my rock. Yeah, we sung that earlier. That's what it means. That, Lord, I'm your faithful God. And I'm going to trust in you, my God, my rock. Hallelujah. My strong tower, my fortress, my God in whom I will trust, Lord. I'm not afraid of Babylon. I'm not afraid of Nebuchadnezzar. I'm not afraid of this world, Lord, because you are my rock, and I'm trusting. I'm trusting in you. Come on, let's go.